Okay. So, arrivals, right? That's the theme of our gathering here today. Arrivals. Arrivals are a wonderful thing. Joy and I were watching Love Actually the other night, right? Love Actually, one of the approximately five uh, uh, decent Christmas films, which are, of course, in this order. Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2, (laughs) right? Followed by Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. And then finally, Love Actually, right? That's like the five acceptable Christmas. We're watching that, right? And it's got that scene at the end where, you know, the airport and there's coming and going and arrivals come and it's like joyous and everyone's overjoyed at the arrivals coming into town around a Christmas time, right? And I don't know if you've ever sat in an airport and watched as people come and go, as people come from there, wherever they've been, come back home or whatever it is, and they arrive in the airport. It's kind of a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. Except, well, it is in some cases, except this is Northern Ireland, right? So, I mean, because it's Northern Ireland, you're not likely to be welcomed by that beautiful blonde female who's going to run off the plane and jump into your arms, right? That doesn't happen here. It's much more likely to be your dad, who's like, for goodness sake, son, what's taking you so long? The parking's 350. You know, it's that sort of thing, right? That's what greets you in the airport when you're from Northern Ireland, right? That's, that's the deal in our culture. But in this culture of the world that we live in, right, some arrivals are, are much more greatly heralded than others, aren't they? Some things are more greatly heralded than just arrivals in an airport. So, for example, the arrival of Donald Trump as the President of the United States of America was meant to usher in the end of the world as we know it, and yet we're all still here. Or, for example, the arrival of a no-deal Brexit was meant to be the moment that we're going to actually find out that the earth is flat as we kind of fall off the edge, right? That's what that's meant to happen whenever we get there. But one of my favorite things to watch over the last year or so, right, has been the number of news stories about these things, right? Uh, Does anyone know what these are? These are Boston Dynamics robots, right? Robot dogs, okay? Um, And uh, these ones have been really, like, heavily followed online because they're incredible. If you've seen any of the videos, there's, like, ones that can do parkour and, like, backflips. And and these dogs, like, you know, you can't kick them over. Have you seen, like, soldiers trying to kick them and they don't fall over? And someday these are going to appear in battlefields all around the world, okay? But it's been one of the big arrivals in kind of public perception over the last while. Robots. Robots are one of the things that lots of people talk about. There's huge interest in media coverage, right? And it was perhaps best characterized by one news site that I read, which wrote a whole piece which was called, The Future Is Here, and It's Absolutely Terrifying. And it was all about these robots, right? The future has arrived, And it's terrifying, right? This is what the Telegraph wrote. Many social media users have commented that they find the videos of Boston Dynamics robots to be unsettling. Absolutely terrifying, wrote one YouTube user under a video of the Atlas robot doing parkour. The human race is over as we know it, wrote another, right? The future has arrived, guys. And it looks like this, apparently. So then just the other day, right, Russia responds, okay? This is what Russian media outlets, some people are nodding already, you know where this is going, right? Russian media outlets release the video of their own most advanced robot ever, right? And people were astounded, right? Russian, like like their main news station is running these stories of this incredible robot, okay, that, that, that like can do astonishing things. It can dance perfectly in time. It can have a conversation with you. It can do all sorts of 
incredible things, right? And, and the world was like astounded by this thing. There's a slight problem, however, and this is what it is. Just after about 24 hours after the video was originally released, that looks suspiciously like a man's neck inside the robot, right? That is, in fact, a man. The future has arrived, guys, and it turns out it's not a robot. It's just a man in a big robot suit, right? Because some arrivals, right, sometimes what we get is not what we were expecting. This is meant to be the future. This is meant to be the most advanced thing that you've ever seen. The reality is you could probably buy that costume in Elliot's downtown, right? It's not what we thought. It's certainly not maybe even sometimes what we hope for. And over the last number of weeks of Central, we've been working our way through the Advent story, through the eyes of several major characters in the Bible, right? So through the words of Isaiah first, the first of the Old Testament major prophets, his words quoted in Gospels more than any other Old Testament writer, his words pointing to and foretelling of one who would come. Through the life of John the Baptist after that, the first prophet for over 400 years whenever he started to speak, a strange guy from an extraordinary background emerging from the wilderness to prolific following, seeing hundreds come to faith and be baptized. His whole life was pointing away from himself and on to another, the light that was coming. And then last week through the story of a virgin, through the story of Mary, who through miraculous circumstances ends up carrying a baby as her unique position, unique privilege, tired, probably fed up, uncomfortable and fearful, excited and afraid, getting ready to give birth in a stable in the middle of nowhere. The reality is she knew one was coming. She wasn't just pointing to. She wasn't just a prophet. She knew one was coming. And I'm sure that many of you have been opening up your Advent calendars at home every day on the countdown to Christmas, right? And the reality with the Advent story is that it feels the same, doesn't it? It feels like something is going to happen. As you go through the stories that foretell as we eventually arrive at Christmas, it feels like something is going to happen. All of the Advent story arcing, aching for something to happen. And then it does, finally. And it's the arrival. It's the arrival. And those words from Isaiah, actually it's not just Isaiah 9. It was a mishmash of a bunch of different chapters uh, from Isaiah that were so beautifully read by Ellie and Nicole, Izzy and Scott from the Jesus Storybook Bible. They probably the most read and known words at carol services up and down the country today that are going to be getting read. They make a birth announcement, right? The reality is of that Isaiah 9 passage, it makes a birth announcement. And I came to find out that birth announcements are a big deal, right? Birth announcements are a big thing, okay? Um, when Joy gave birth to L, L was born in the early hours of the morning, okay? So by the time uh, doctors whisk L off to do all the stuff and, and Joy off to check on her, uh, we had moved down into our little cubicle and I got tasked with the job of, well, I suppose you should probably go and ring the parents, right? So that's a big deal, okay? So I go down and I'm back in the foyer area and I ring, okay? And so bearing in mind this is like 4 a.m. in the morning, okay? 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, okay? I ring Joy's parents, okay, and it goes something like this. Ring, and I mean one ring, okay, we're not talking many rings, it's four o'clock in the morning, and the phone rings once. Hello? And she answers the phone, right? Uh, Yes? And I went, hi Hazel, Uh, just ringing to let you know that we've had a little girl. Oh, amazing, congratulations, we'll come now. It's four in the morning. 
They live in cold rain. You're not going to come now. So it's like, no, 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 ah, ah, no, no. Just, just like, give us a little time. We'll call you this, like later on in the morning. You can maybe come down and see us. Like four in the morning, she's like out of bed already, got her clothes on. In fact, I don't know if she actually, I think she went to bed fully clothed. I don't know. I can't confirm that, but I suspect she did, right? Birth announcements are a big deal. But Isaiah does something absolutely incredible in Isaiah chapter 9, right? You see, he makes a birth announcement. But Isaiah makes a birth announcement that just so happens to be 700 years early. He makes a birth announcement 700 years early. And sure enough, 700 years later, through Mary in a stable in in Bethlehem, the story that you all know, we have an arrival. The baby comes. The shepherds watching on just earlier in the night. They'd been in their fields working just like every other night. And then angels appear, which is incredible in itself. And they sing. Who knew they sing? But they sing. They sing to these shepherds. And then they come to be there too. And magi, kings, astrologers, wealthy people uh, arrive too. They've traveled 800 kilometers following a star to the middle of nowhere to be there too. All of them are looking for something. They're looking for hope. The sort of hope that the world hadn't seen before. They're looking for a king, the sort of king whose birth is announced by angels. They're probably imagining the sorts of things that the words of Isaiah, like grand, big, incredible language, speak of. And he had arrived. And it's just a baby. It's just a baby. So what is it about this arrival that makes it so significant? What is it about it that makes it so important? I just want to say two things tonight, right, really quickly. Uh, and they are that the Christmas story, this arrival that we're focusing in on tonight, is so important because of two things, because of mystery and because of reality. The arrival is important because of mystery. So now it is approximately, what, 5.30, something like that, on Sunday the 23rd of December, right? And it's about this point that I should probably tell you that if you haven't sorted your Christmas presents by now, you're stuffed, right? That's the bottom line. If you haven't got it done by now, service station presents, nah, not a good option, okay? You're stuffed. If you haven't got it done, you're stuffed, okay? And the question is, right, how do you think you've done, Right? Because that's the deal, you know? Have you been sort of setting your presents aside going, I have nailed it this year? Or are you like, oh, no. I just don't, I just don't know if they're going to be into it, right? Are you dreading that response? Oh, wow, I really like it. Did you get a gift receipt? Are you like thinking that that's going to be the case on Christmas morning, right? Now, insight into my life, I love presents, right? I mean, I'll just be honest, I absolutely love presents presents, right? But this can sometimes be an issue in our house, okay? Because when Joy and I were getting uh, ready to be married, we did the marriage prep course, and what that did was it revealed that we had literally polar opposite love languages, okay? Completely opposite love languages. So I'm gifts and acts of service. Some of you are like, what a weirdo. But gifts and acts of service, right? Those were my love languages. Joy, hers were physical touch and words of affirmation, and I'm like, she's a weirdo, right? That's basically the deal. So, side note, little side note, we asked my daughter Elle, who's two, uh, the other day when we had finished decorating the Christmas tree, what she liked about it, and she said, I like a present. She's my child, right? Anyway, right, because of our very different love languages, it essentially means that Christmas looks a little bit like this, okay? Joy receives gifts, reads 
every single word on the card and ponders them in her heart, right? She reads it, she takes her time, she probably gets emotional. She almost certainly brings out her phone and texts whoever the person has given her the present to tell them how beautiful it was. Present, probably sitting on the side for the next 15 minutes, right? While she still deals with the card, right? Me, receive gift, throw card away, rip open present as quickly as possible, right? That's how it works in our house, okay? But what's happened as a result of us having very different love languages whenever it comes to gifts is that Joy tends to feel quite under pressure about giving me presents because she knows that I love receiving presents. She's great at it, by the way. I should clarify. She's brilliant at it, but it stresses her out, okay? And you know what else happens? If your family's anything like my family, everybody texts her asking about presents for me. So like more pressure on top of the pressure she's already feeling. And so over time, we fell into this rhythm, right? which was essentially she asked me what I thought I wanted for Christmas, and I'd, you know, create a list of differing price points, right, you know? And if you know me, the price points are all expensive, okay, right? So I create my little list, and then that gets sent to everyone who's meant to be buying me a present for Christmas. And they just buy me something from it. And you think, great, right? Because you get everything that you want, in a way. I know I want everything on this list, so how could that possibly get any better? But you know what the problem with that is? There's no mystery. There's just no mystery in it anymore. All the surprise, all that sense of wonder as a child, you know, poking at the corners of presents, you know. Everyone in my family tells me that I had this, this habit of receiving gifts that always had the corner of the wrapping paper slightly torn, right? How does that always happen to Dave? I don't know. It's a mystery. But the reality is all of that wonder... As a child, poking at presents, tearing at the corners, trying to figure out what's inside, expectant, excited. All of the mystery is gone. When you just create a list for yourself, all the mystery is gone. And how easily do we feel like that when it comes to the Christmas story? How easily do we feel like all of the mystery is gone? Where is the mystery in that scene that looks like this? A baby swaddled somewhere in a manger in the middle of nowhere. And worse than that, in the culture that we have all been living in, right, for the past number of weeks as Christmas stuff ramps up and and the Instagram pictures that are to follow of people's sofas full of presents lined up one after the other, it's so easy to come to the Christmas season and experience all of the abundance and none of the mystery. So easy to feel all of the abundance and none of the mystery of what's going on in that picture. Just listen to these words from Luke's gospel that you'll have heard before. They'll come on the screen. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped them in cloths and placed them in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, if Advent is about this sense of waiting and the wonder that is stirred in the mystery of what God is about to do, Christmas is about the sense of wonder at the mystery of what he did do. The sense of wonder about the mystery of what God has done. There's that line in in, in that song, Noel, that's on that Chris Tomlin Christmas album that I know you've all been listening to, right? It's as if all of the arc of Scripture is trying to say what that song says when it says, Come and see what God has done. 
Christmas is about the wonder of coming to see what God has done because this is the moment, right? The world might not have known yet at that stage. You might not know necessarily today, but this is the moment right here where the whole world and the course of human history changes forever. This moment. Don't believe me? Well, we were talking about it last week. Take, for example, the Roman Empire, the greatest superpower that had ever existed at that period of time. They conquered and they commanded just about everything that their eyes fell on. And yet just a couple of hundred years after this is written, they would denounce their own emperor as the Lord of all and say that this Jesus born in a manger was. This is the moment the whole world changes. And it's played out in a manger in the form of a baby. It looks like the most human, most frail, most beautiful, awe-inspiring and mad thing that we human beings will ever know in our lifetime, right? The birth of a child. It's the most human, frail, mad, awe-inspiring thing that we can ever do with our lives and God does that. Just imagine for a second that first cry. Just imagine those first breaths as the Holy One of Heaven breathes in our air. Just imagine that. That's incredible, right? That God who it seems is way, way, way up there is all of a sudden way, way, way down here. It turns out that the solution to every pain and suffering and searching is not the product of billions of dollars of research done in Silicon Valley with men in lab coats. It's not strength and might like you've never seen before. It's a baby. It's just a baby. It's the mystery of how this birth and what we feel about the life and message of Jesus, right? All of the prophecies that foretold he was coming, this perfect, spotless, sinless life full of the most astonishing actions and the most beautiful words, the road ahead to the cross and the resurrection and the promise of a new life in him. That's what we come to wonder on this day. All of that in the tension of our everyday, right? The tension of what we feel about this great hope in the context of the monotonous and our everyday just going around, spending, spending, spending up to Christmas time lives. And this birth was that tension, right? Because right here in a picture that we've seen so many times, we're not just looking at a baby. We're looking at the mystery and wonder of how God chooses to breathe everything that makes him God, everything that he is, all of the holiness, all of the divinity, into the most fragile of human forms. That's the wonder that we're looking at. That's the wonder of the arrival. And because of this, one Bible commentator says that in this moment we come to wonder because it's this moment that the crib and the cross meet. We don't just see the birth, we see what is to come. We see what hope cost. And so we can't hide what this means for us, can we? You can't just look at the picture anymore and go, oh, isn't it lovely, the baby Jesus? And that's it, right? You come to wonder what it means for you. This is hope, right? Every carol service in the country is going to say that tonight. They're going to say something about hope because it is. But it's not some distant hope. It's not some generic hope. It is your hope and it's mine. He is our hope. You know, the only thing that might be a greater mystery than what happens in Bethlehem is the mystery of how we get to be united with God through relationship with Jesus, this Jesus. 
the same Jesus who goes to the cross about 30 years later, the same Jesus who is restored to life and offers us new life is the same one in the manger right here. And what we stare at in Christmas cards and nativity scenes is a source that should draw us to mystery and wonder all over again. Come and see what God has done for you. You know, in the Old Testament, God had this way that he, uh, when he revealed his glory to his people. And it was nearly always done at a distance, right? So, for example, in the Exodus with Moses, for example, God's glory is seen in the pillar of cloud that leads them by day and the pillar of fire that leads them by night, right? Awesome kind of big grandeur out there kind of stuff, right? But that's at a distance, isn't it? That's at some distance between you and me. And yet John says this, the word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This word became flesh and we've seen his glory. God's not at a distance anymore. Not for you or I. You know, maybe you like it that way. Maybe you're quite happy for God to be at a distance, right? He's manageable there, isn't he? But deep down, you know, you keep Jesus at arm's length because what would happen if you let him in? You keep him at a distance because you've still got questions. You keep him at a distance because you're too afraid to let go. You keep him at a distance because it's safer that way. But deep down, the questions don't go away. And the longing doesn't stop. And the search for hope and meaning and the life that is truly life. And the mystery is that it's right here. God's not at a distance anymore. Won't you come and see what God has done? This is about mystery, but finally, this is also about reality. What's happening in the manger is about mystery, but also it's about reality, okay? So, you know, sometimes as you read the Bible and the pages are in front of you, okay? Sometimes what's in front of you doesn't necessarily appear to portray the whole picture of just what is going on. So, for example, when you turn that one page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that feels like one page, but that's 400 years passes between one page to the next, right? And that can just like skip by. You're like, oh, the next day. But it's not the next day. It's 400 years years, okay? And right here, something similar is going on, okay? So we just read these words a second ago. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn. Right. Those of you that have been at the birth of a child, it doesn't really work like that, right? It's not, you know, the time came for the baby to be born. Uh, The time came for Joy to give birth to Elle. It was in November of 2016, and she went and gave birth to a baby. I can tell you there was a lot more going on than that, right? For me, the person who was there. Now, um, that's not even half the story. Lots of you will know my feelings on being sick, okay? You will know that I'm not that keen on being sick, okay? And there I was. I found myself at the birth of my child with one of those kidney bowls catching sick at one point, right? This is not the whole story. There's way more going on. I'm still dealing with the trauma in my life, okay? Um, Because there's a reality to birth, isn't there? There's a reality that isn't just the same as the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. There's so much more going on in those words than just the words as they appear. Having a baby in a stable as a teenager on a freezing cold night in the Middle East surrounded by strangers who've shown up because God has led them. There's a reality to that that I'm sure wasn't quite like the Christmas cards show it. And that's not the only reality in the arrival story. 
These are the words that came from the prophecy of Isaiah that we read earlier on, okay? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be in his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, this is the prophecy of the Jesus who is to come. But even then, there's a reality to it all that we need to grasp this Christmas. You see, because the moment, the years that Isaiah was writing in, they weren't good years for the people of God. They weren't good years. The reality was that the faithful remnant was dwindling, and throughout that time, their land uh, was to be occupy, occupied as regimes of different types would sweep through that part of the world, destroy and plunder. And so much of what they must have felt got wiped out. And the prophecy comes, but the reality is that it would be hundreds of years before Israel would see it fulfilled, right? So the words come, but it's not for hundreds of years that they eventually see, yeah, 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 that, that came to pass. And so for now, they had to wait. And that wouldn't have been easy, right? Waiting never is. It never looks like it does in in the films, right? Waiting is never easy. So they're waiting for their hope to come. But interestingly, just look at the words that are used in that prophecy. Every single one of the things that this hope is going to do is written in the past tense. It's not written in the future. The people in darkness have seen a great light. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. You have shattered the spear. A son is given. In other words, Isaiah was speaking, as it, uh, speaking of this as if it had already happened. It was as if it was already true. They were to be a people whose hope was sure. We are to be a people whose hope is sure because that's our reality. The truth for them for them then, as it is for us now, is that where darkness had fallen, light was coming. As I is speaking of a hope that is sure, and the people of God had to decide what reading of their experiences and their circumstances they were going to live by. In other words, are they going to live, uh, are they going to look at the darkness and the hopelessness and the shattered dreams and let that dictate who they were and where they were going? Or were they going to look in faith to the light that they were sure was coming? So are you going to look at the darkness and the hopelessness and the shattered dreams of your life and learn to live by those? Or learn to live in faith for the light that has come this Christmas? So what does that light look like, just as we close? Well, Isaiah tells us, right? It's in the names, okay? The names that he uses at the end. And what's wild about this is that Isaiah does something that we would never do, okay? Again, not, not content with just giving a birth announcement 700 years early. He also does this, okay? He, he, we'd never name somebody for accomplishments that they haven't yet made yet, would we? 
We never need them for things they've never done, right? So I wasn't delivered into my mum and dad's arms and they weren't like, we shall call him wearer of jeans, hug dodger, future coffee lover, giver of a brave sermon, right? They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't name me that, right? Because I hadn't done any of those things. How could they name you those? And yet this is what the prophet Isaiah says of Jesus. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In a world that is looking for answers and direction, he is a wonderful counselor. He is the source of supernatural wisdom and truth. In a world of political chaos, he's a mighty God. He's the one who has no confusion in him, who creates out of chaos in an instantaneous world. He is the everlasting Father, the ageless one, and in a restless, self-centric culture. He's the Prince of Peace. He's our peace. That's who this Jesus is. That's who that one in the manger is. That's what his life looked like. That's what his death and his resurrection brought to pass. That's what we hold on to. That's what we believe in. That's our sure hope at Christmas time. Come and see what God has done. In the midst of all the madness of the Christmas season, come and see what he's done. Come and wonder again. Come and let this story seep in and begin to cause you to look at it with all the mystery that it has. And come to realize the reality of just what it means. We're going to come together to worship uh, to finish off our service. And um, I just wanted to pray um, as we lead into worship as we finish up today. And really I wanted to pray about peace. Because that is one of the big things you hear a lot in the readings. It was in two of them that we read today. The one from Isaiah and the one from Micah. They both speak of Jesus as our peace. And yet how much of the time do our lives look entirely like the opposite? Do our lives look like anxiety and restlessness? Do our our lives look like want? And more and more and more and more. And just as we come to worship, I just want to pray. And if that's you today and you're sitting and you're, going, you're thinking to yourself, do you know what? I need to know some more of that peace in my life. Because you can't sleep or you have difficulty making decisions. Because you realize that your life really isn't full of peace at all. You know, there's this interesting thing in that Isaiah passage. He talks about uh, their shoulders the rod of the oppressor is on their shoulders, pushing down, crushing, when the authority of the world is on our lives. That's exactly how it feels, doesn't it? Pushing down, crushing weight on us. And yet when he spoke of Jesus, this is what he says, the government, the authority, will be on his shoulders. You want to know what the beginning of peace is? The beginning of peace is letting go. You can't hold all of the weight in your life. You can't take all of the pressure that the authority of this world is trying to push down on you, especially not at this time of the year, but he can. Speaking later in scripture, Jesus himself says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All of that authority does not weigh heavily on him. And if you're here today 
and peace is something that you feel you really do need, then I'd love to pray for you now. So I'm just going to pray. I wonder if you would stand with me in a little minute. And if that's you, uh, I'm just going to ask that you hold your hands out where you are. There's nothing mystical or funny about that. It's just a sign of openness, really, in your life that you want to receive. I'm just going to pray for you wherever you are, and then I'll close up, and, and then we're going to move on with worship as we close our service. Is that okay? Everyone all right with that? Why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray. And just if that's you today, and for whatever reason, the stuff in your life, discontentment, anxiety, restlessness, fear, worry, doubt, circumstances, Christmas itself, finances, whatever it is, you're here today and you're thinking, goodness, I need to know peace in my life. Then why don't you just hold your hands out where you are? No one's looking. just pray Holy Spirit you are welcome here and we invite you to come we know you're already here but we invite you to come and presence yourself in this place we invite you to come into lives we invite you to come into circumstances we invite you to enter into fear and worry and doubt and anxiety We invite you into family circumstances. We invite you into job circumstances. We invite you into our finances. We invite you into our relationships. Jesus, our peace. Come by your Holy Spirit now. We want to hold on to that peace. And we want to let go. We want to let go today. Just in our hearts, we say, Jesus, we can't hold all of the weight that's coming down. But you can. Please will you take it. Please will you take it. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So we give it to you. We want to come and see what you've done this Christmas time. In all the mystery. and all the reality. Jesus, come be our peace. For it's in your name that we